May the force be with you. Why is this game so important to Georgia? Well, you put so much into the game, you know? It's like, if you can't enjoy these moments, well, why do we do it? You know, if I can't embrace my family and hug them and love it and see the fans that stuck around for it, that's what it's all about to me. I mean, like, that's the, I had a coach a long time ago tell me, if you can't enjoy those moments, then then why are you in the business? And the players, you know, they work hard, guys. They, they, they practice so many times a week for this one game. And, you know, I want them to enjoy it. I want them to see the emotion of it. It, it doesn't matter to me that it's Florida. It matters to me that it's our team and, and they won. That's what really good coaches do. They, they look at the personnel, and that's something that we've had to do as we learn this team early in the season, you know, where do we put the guys? What's the best fit? What's the best routes? What are the best things that, that we can do as a staff to put these guys in a, a situation they can be successful? And Coach Bobo has done a good job of that. Welcome in to the latest episode of that SEC podcast. I'm your host, Michael Bratton. I go by SEC Mike on Twitter. And man, do we got a show lined up for you because we got a first-time guest on the show, 24-7 sports analyst, Coach Carl Reed, former head coach, Lutheran North, won a state title in 2019. Now he does recruiting and college football insight for 24-7 sports. We got Brian Harson, We got Eli Drinkowitz. We got Kirby Smart, all holding press conferences this week in the SEC, we're going to get to all that. So just an absolutely loaded show. We got other coaches, so many media availabilities, couldn't even get to them all. We're going to have Shane Beamer, Billy Napier, and another guest on tomorrow's show. But before we get to all that, I know it's tournament time and we've been talking a little bit of basketball. I'm not going to talk basketball here, but I did want to announce a special little announcement here for the show listeners we have a bracket challenge going on. This is the, the best time of the year for the college basketball fans. So we all know how popular these brackets are. So we went over to ESPN's bracket challenge. Search us out. That SEC podcast is the group name. It's free to join. And even better, we're going to give out prizes. This is an opportunity for all you loyal listeners out there to get free prizes courtesy of that SEC podcast. We're going to give multiple prizes to the top three winners. Top three winners going to win swag from our merchandise store. We're going to let you pick out the merchandise. Top prize, we're thinking sweater. I think that's the highest. Uh, if you head on over to our T Public store, which you can find in the show notes, I think a sweatshirt is the uh, most expensive item. So we'll probably give the winner a, a sweatshirt. Second prize, a T-shirt. Third prize, another item listed on our T Public website. So again, head on over to ESPN Bracket Challenge. Search that SEC podcast. There's also a link to join the Bracket Challenge in the podcast show notes. So if you want to play a little game here with uh, Cousin Shane and I, he's filled out a bracket, I filled out a bracket. And again, totally free, not going to cost you a dime. Just our way of saying thanks to all the loyal listeners out there. And, you know, hopefully a couple of you earn some prizes to show off here this offseason. But enough of that. Let's get on with the loaded, loaded show. And we're going to start on the planes. Brian Harson, first media availability with the reporters since all the 
speculation about his job and everything that was going on this offseason. And we all know what a nightmare that was for Coach Harson and his family. So, you know, he seemed very grateful to be back here on the Plains and leading the program for a second year. And, you know, we saw a little bit of a different side here from Coach Harson. Believe it or not, this was the first time that the Auburn media got to have one-on-one with Brian Harson, And he's been there since December of what would have been 2020. I mean, that this is a long time we're talking here. We got to see a, a, a different side. It's all been Zoom press conferences for Auburn's head coach up until this time. And, of course, you know, a heavy topic there. All the allegations, the, the speculation, multiple reporters were out here saying, incredible reporters, it was not just wackos online or anything, saying Brian Harson doesn't look like he's going to return. Of course, the tide turned late, and he is back. So what did he learn from that lesson his first year in the SEC? I mean, so many things here going into uh, this loaded question here for Brian Harson, but let's start right there yeah yeah quite a bit (laughs) that's a great question um yeah there's a lot and we actually talk about this in staff meetings all the time and it's not like not about me but just about things that we learn i think that's the greatest exercise you can have when you have a group of people working together is you know you go do something significant like let's say for a you have a football season for example all right so you have this this season of 13, 14, 15 games, whatever you're playing, and then you get to go back and talk about what you learned from it, from every single guy, and you get a whole different perspective. You all went through the same thing, but everybody saw it differently, all right? And I take that information, and I always have it. I always got it on my desk. I always go back to it and look at some of the stuff that we said so we don't forget it. Um, And a lot of those things for me as we go through it, you know, I – put my, my thoughts when someone else is talking in there and it's kind of like written in there, you know, where my thoughts come in because someone's uh, taking the notes on it. And I try to sit there and, and see, all right, where was I at at that point? You know, what was I thinking? And then where am I at now? And the, the one thing I've learned over time is just to, just to simplify things. Uh, and, you know, there's a lot. There's always a lot to do. There's always a lot of things happening. There's always a lot of directions that you can get pulled and all that. And much like I tell our players, all right, try to practice what you preach a little bit, but just simplifying your life and just honing in on the things that matter and then trying to be really good at those and handling the other things that you need to. Um, and so there's a lot. There's a lot coming here that uh, I've learned in a year of being in the new place and um, not just from the environment that we play in and, and the atmosphere and all those things like that, but just where we are, who we're with, the people that we're surrounding ourselves with, how we get those people here. Uh, there's a lot. Now, I really thought the highlight of this press conference. Now, one thing I don't think is taken into consideration as much as it should be, it's, you know, it's all about wins and losses on the field. That's how these guys get judged by 99% of the people. And I understand it's a, uh, you know, it's, it's what have you done for me lately business. And it's, it's cut and dry. You either suck or you're, you're the greatest coach or you're terrible. I mean, and these fans will turn on you in a heartbeat, but there's so much that goes on behind the scenes 
And I just thought this was a really, really interesting, introspective look here at the Auburn program. Year one with still the COVID restrictions. And you got to remember that uh, Brian Harson himself got COVID during, I believe it was fall camp. Derek Mason got it a couple of times. So, you know, I cannot imagine the wrenches that were thrown into just the first year at being at Auburn. And that's not to say that necessarily he's, he's just making excuses because you could look at South Carolina under Shane Beamer, Tennessee under Josh Heupel, and at the same time, Sam Pittman. I mean, he's been dealing with this. The whole, he's been dealing with the same kind of deal at Arkansas. But, you know, I think not every situation is the same. And clearly, Brian Harson, there was a disconnect with some of his players you know, when, his, when it was out there that he might get fired, it, it was about a 50-50 split. Half these players saying they didn't care for him, didn't care for his style. The other half, you know, they were loving him. So, you know, he's got to get the full buy-in. And you hope as an Auburn fan that's what you got. But I just thought this was some really, really interesting comments here from Brian Harson, noting how just what a mess last year was and how – you know, now that they can have these outings together, they can build that chemistry, and that's what they've been trying in an ideal world how it would have been last year. And maybe things will be a little bit different here. And certainly, you got to think Brian Harson's gotten a little bit of a wake-up call given that uh, his job was even in question after I understand it was a disappointing season, but by no metric could you look at what they did last year and say, well, this guy should be fired for going six and seven when, you know, they were four, a couple fourth quarter collapses away from uh, winning the SEC West potentially. So uh, let's kick it over to Coach Harson once again. Well, it's always been important. You know, I, I would say this, finally it feels like, we went and did paintballing, for example, right? We got a chance to go do that. Uh, normally that would be something that we would do when we got here. And, I, and I'll just go back. I mean, it just flat out, COVID was, it was hard. It was hard to do all the things that you normally want to do. I mean, have people over to your house. Can't do that because there might be somebody that gets COVID. There might be a breakout, right? Can't go on a staff retreat. Can't go do this. Can't have people here. Can't go do an event there. It's too many people. Um, I mean, you guys all went. We all went through it. So when you're trying to build chemistry on a team and you got 120 guys, you got 100 or almost 215, 230 people in this building, um, and you're not able to go do those things, it makes it difficult. So you had to, you had to find ways to um, be creative in building that chemistry, but it's not the same. Just like we're sitting here face-to-face, -face, it's completely different. I'm talking to families through Zoom. We're talking to players through Zoom. we got new players that sign that we don't even know. We're Zooming with them. We can't go see them. Um, so we went and paintballed. We did paintballing. All right, and that was a really, really good idea until the last game when the whole team decided that the coaching staff were the enemies. All right, so we retreated, I'll just say that. But we had a good time. We want to do more of those events. We want to go be able to, uh, to break out and go have people over, to have dinners, to, to be able to do things normally. Uh, but as far as the staff goes, yeah, you want to have chemistry with the staff. You want to get to know people on the staff. Uh, you want your players to spend time with coaches on the staff. You want to spend time with your players. And um, you don't always get to do that as much as you want to. And so as we sit in here in meetings and we spend time together as a team, <clears throat> that's part of that relationship. That's part of what I think uh, everybody has to value is that time. But, you know, we're able to do more of that. So um, that's a premium. 
you know, just on building the chemistry of the team because when it comes down to it, that's what's going to separate a lot of teams is just how they feel about each other. Do they trust each other? Um, where they're in the locker room, are they talking positively? Are they, are they going to, as they're getting ready for the game, are they going to be thinking in their minds, we're going to go out there and get after these guys? Or is it negative? You know, and we've had a little bit of both. You know, so as we move forward now, all right, that's the past. If we move forward now, all right, we want to have that type of locker room and chemistry on this team that we can go out there for four quarters and we can play hard and we can trust the guy to our left and right. We can enjoy what we're doing because of who we're with. And then we'll see what the results are at the end of the day. And then last thing here is important to put all that behind him because if it, if any of that lingers this off season, I mean, he's a dead man walking already. And hell, we've already had guests on the show that basically speculated that is what's going on. Auburn's just buying their time, waiting for this guy to fall flat on his face. And then they'll go into the next coaching cycle and replace him. And maybe that will happen. And I, I certainly think it, is more likely to happen than not if he's bitter about everything and he holds grudges and he, and he doesn't change his ways when it comes to dealing with people. Because I have heard with people behind the scenes, clearly some issues there that Brian Harson needs to work on when it comes to his communication and people skills. And maybe this will be the wake up call. And, you know, based on what uh, coach Harson had to say here at the tail end of his press conference, he is putting that behind him, and if I'm an Auburn fan, that's that's what I got to hope for here. Are you bitter about some of the stuff that went down there? <laughs> no, I mean, it, there was a lot of things that happened. I mean, I, I don't I don't really see the value at this point of like looking back and uh, in the rearview mirror. Right. You know, I mean, it's I'm a guy that that wants to move forward, that wants to get better, that wants to keep improving. I mean, that's just how I operate. Now, there's other people involved. My family's involved. There's other people involved. There's other families involved and all that. Um, I'm not saying they have to operate like I do, right? Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, I mean, it's there, there's something there's something about um, believing in, in, in the things that you do um, and, and knowing that hey, this is, this is going to help us. This is going to get us better. Um, and being around other people that, that also feel that way too. You know, the one thing to me, I guess for me, is, is if you want to go back and, and look back on some of the things that happened, I also took a ton of positive out of it as well. All right? As, as much as there were some negative things, there was probably, there was not probably, there was more positive. I saw players on our team step up and lead talk about player driven like you can talk about it all day and until you're thrown into that situation until you have to come out and actually stand on your two feet and say something um, you never know and I saw players do that I saw players set up meetings to go meet with people to have conversations about all right our program um, and I saw guys that decided to come back here for that reason to be in that position uh, I saw coaches do the same thing, felt that, um, got a lot of emails and mail and support and saw that from, you know, a lot of people that, uh, that support Auburn. So I guess, you know, there, there's some things that, you know, what happened, um, 
you know, I wouldn't say that anybody really wants to go through that, but at the same time, I also saw some things that were really, really positive and saw support and saw people come out and just stand up and talk about Auburn, talk about this program, talk about um, the things that we're doing and know that we're moving in the right direction. Um, I, I don't, I mean, I, I'm not looking for it. Well. Yeah, I, I guess, um, I, not, not necessarily that. Let me just say this. I mean, people in, in, in our world of recruiting and all that and, and perception, all those things like that, I mean, just pick something of the day, right? That's really what it comes down to. Pick something of the day and that's what somebody's going to use. And, and there's a lot of programs and people out there that have no problem doing that. Um, I don't feel that way. I really don't. There's a, there's a lot of people that don't. Now we battle it, and we're going to battle it every day. We're going to overcome one, and there's going to be another. We're going to overcome another and another. And another. Just, it's going to be a constant uh, battle of of what other people have to say. And it's um, no, no, not like this. Yeah, not like this. Um, this is different, you know. But I, I don't think it's necessarily just Auburn. I think it's it's other programs too. But I also think. Um, what's happened in college football is different from when I was at Boise. So the times have changed. I mean, now you got all these other ways to recruit players and to promote your program. And, and some people are using it for good. Some people are using it for evil. I mean, you, you know, that's what I'm, it's just pick your poison and how you want to do things. Um, so, no, again, Look, we're going we're gonna to talk about our program. We're going to talk about the things that we do. We're going to try to get guys to come here because they want to be a part of Auburn football. And let me just say this. There's a lot of guys out there that want to be here. And there's a lot of families that want their sons to be here because they want them to be a part of a program like we have. And they want their, their sons to be a part of uh, the things that we believe in, like getting your degree, working hard, being a good person, giving back to the community, doing things the right way, treating people the right way. All right? I mean, those type of things, like that stuff still matters. And, you know, I, I, think, I think some people, um, you know, they just, they, they, they take it too far. <clears throat> they take it too far. And you know what the problem is? They got no problem with that. That's the problem. Now, considering all that uh, he's been through, I, I'm rooting for this guy. And... We've seen it before. I mean, they've tried to oust Tommy Tuberville once before, and it blew up in their face, and it galvanized the team. And I certainly think there's an outstanding chance that's what's going to happen this year on the Plains. Everybody's going to be picking against Auburn, probably us included, you know. But uh, this is what Auburn does. When you have low expectations, they exceed them. When when they're picked in the top ten, they barely make a bowl. You know what I mean? Like, that's just the way it goes on the plane. So that's just the way it seems to go there on the planes. And and as we've been discussing in recent weeks, I mean, the schedule sets up beautifully for the Auburn Tigers. So, you know, let's not bury this guy just yet. They come out red hot. They're going to build confidence heading into the season. You know, this could be a very, very dangerous team to emerge out of the SEC West. Next, let's kick it on down to Columbia, Missouri, where, my goodness, we got a spring game here on Saturday. It's going to be on uh, SEC Network Plus, I believe. They just announced that. And 
you know, we've only got a couple more days to soak up Missouri football content until basically go into the long, long off season up there in Columbia. I really wish they didn't hold this thing during uh, uh, the NCAA tournament. It's going to have fewer and fewer eyes on it, but maybe just maybe that's exactly what Eli Drinkowitz wants because the Tigers, they're going with, uh, you know, one of these unique situations where they're going to draft two teams, go head to head. And let's just kick it to Drinkowitz here. He's going to explain the process and why they're going to be doing it this way. I thought this was pretty interesting, and uh, I'll discuss it on the other side. Yeah, so we're actually uh, – we've got two team uh, seniors. They're going to draft the teams tomorrow, and we're going to be the Missouri versus Tigers. Going to be a spring game. Don't know what those teams are yet. We'll find out tomorrow on the draft. Tune into our social media page. We'll be broadcasting those draft picks uh, ish, ish, live, ish, live. Um, a lot of discussion here on, on first picks and, and, and if there's going to be any exciting trades. Don't know how much cap space each team has and all that. Um, but want to make it exciting for the fans. Want to make it great for our players, an opportunity to compete. You know, number one goal for us was individual player development. And no better way to see that through, uh, you know, getting a chance to cut it loose and play. Um, and, you know, hopefully it's exciting for both players, family, and, and again, uh, again our, our coaches can evaluate how much growth each one of these guys has had. So can you tell us who the, the captains are? Yeah, uh, and I may have these teams wrong. No, it's uh, Darius Robinson and uh, Woody. And uh, on the other side, it's Barrett Bannister and Isaiah McGuire. That's why we're – that's why we're drafting players, and right. I mean, it's going to be. There's not going to be the chemistry and camaraderie. You could have totally different starting five off. Well, you're going to have a totally different starting five, offensive lineman, defensive lineman, corner, safety. You know, so I, yeah, I don't know. Could be a low-scoring game. Could be a high-scoring game. It's going to be fun. It's going to be a lot of fun. Especially with the quarterback situation, where it's going to go on for a while. Yeah. No, they won't, and they won't be live. They'll be in a white jersey. Um, it'll be a all black, all gold, and the quarterbacks will be in white. They won't be live. Um, but again, the the part of the purpose of this is so that there's not that post spring. Oh gosh, this depth chart, all that. Like we we've been very clear. There's been no establishment of depth chart after spring. It's about individual player development. Where are you at? And then you've got four and a half months to determine what your future contribution is going to be to our team when you show up in August um, uh, for fall camp. So uh, this is just like a benchmark. This is, you know, where are you at compared to, to where we think you need to be or want to be. So based on these comments from Drinkwitz, still a, a ton of development going on this offseason. It's somewhat of an overhaul year going into year three. It's mixing what's left of uh, the Barry Odom era players with the Drinkowitz recruits that he has gotten since he's been at Missouri. And it's certainly, you get the sense here that it's going to be heavy, heavy on the youth movement. And I think that's why he's not really wanting to put any kind of stock in this spring game. I think it's why they're doing it this way. We don't want any players thinking they're falling behind their second string, third string, fourth string. He's got to get all these players buying in to the fact that, you know, they put in the work this spring and you have to continue that into the summer, going full into fall camp, take what you learned in spring and show us 
that you understand what we just spent a month teaching you. You can translate that to a fall camp and maybe you can earn your way into the starting rotation here with the Missouri Tigers. And of course, no, no bigger area of question. I guess you could say there if the Missouri Tigers is his quarterbacks battle here with Tyler Macon and Brady Cook and Sam Horn coming in in the summer. Sam Horn's not even there yet, but you know, a lot of Mizzou fans are hyping up Tyler Macon, but now he's kind of a little bit lost his luster here, and that is something that uh, Drinkwitz talked about. The quarterback competition, Tyler Macon, still learning and growing in this offensive system. Just his second spring camp in college football, and very interestingly, at the tail end, listen carefully to what uh, Drinkwitz says at the tail end here. We are going to continue to add competition to this battle. And I don't think he's talking specifically just Sam Horn because he mentions Horn here as well. Got a lot of Tylers. I know. Yep. Um, I think just he's getting more and more comfortable with the offense and, and playing quarterback in the system that we play and, and the things that we're asking him to do. You know, we want him to be uniquely him um, and utilize his gifts and talents, but he's got to do it within the framework of our offense. And there are certain things that we ask those quarterbacks to do that, that he's, you know, still learning. Um, you know, this is his second spring ever. Um, and so he's still processing those things. You, you're seeing growth. He's making some, some better decisions, making better throws, being more accurate. Um, but, you know, Rome wasn't built in a day. We, we, we you know, we had the – Talked to him this morning or this afternoon before our team uh, practice and our team meeting just about bamboo, right? You you water it for five years and you see nothing, and then it you know it can grow uh, in a matter of six weeks, you know six feet. So that's that's the process, right? You got to continue to water it, continue to to repeat the steps um, necessary in order to grow. I think it's a growth. I, I think it's growing. Uh, both are are really young and and um, are going through. I mean, both of them are going through their second spring. You know, Brady was here, but we had COVID at, had to cancel after the third practice. So they're both going through their second spring, and, and they're both in a quarterback battle for the first time where it's not defined who's going to win it. So, um, you know, um, it, it's it's really a, it's a lot of fun for me to watch because I, I, I can see it from a 30,000 feet view, and I don't think they quite have as much fun because they're in the middle of that nitty-gritty. But I'm really excited because they're both showing growth. They're both maturing. They're both trying to do what we ask them to do. Um, and it both means a, it means a lot to both of them. God, they both want to be the starting quarterback for the University of Missouri, and they both got the right stuff. Um, so I can't wait to continue to watch this battle unfold. Can't wait to add other guys to it. Man, look forward to Sam getting in here this summer and, and – uh, as the late Colin Powell said, the only thing better than a little competition is a lot of competition, and, and we're going to continue to add competition to this quarterback battle because uh, we need it. We need it in order to win. We need it in order to win in this league. We had to play good at that position. So no doubt in my mind, I mean, it's been well documented. Missouri tried to get Jaden Daniels before he commit to LSU. Now there's speculation they're going to go after JT Daniels. JT Daniels has not made a firm commitment one way or another, so certainly – Missouri is putting its stock into adding more competition to this quarterback room, and I think that's the right move because you just cannot win at a high level in this league without a high-level play 
without solid play at the quarterback position. And sadly, I think Missouri learned that last year with Connor Basilak. As much hype as he was getting leading into the season, it just didn't work out, and that's why he's no longer the quarterback there. So we cannot have another season of that if we're Drinkowitz. But it's pretty wild here, I think, going into the spring game where I don't know that I've ever seen a head coach quite put it out there like this, that, uh, yeah, there's going to be more competition being added at some point at the game's most important position. Before we get to our interview with Coach Carl Reed, let's kick it all down to Athens, where the defending national champions hitting the practice field this week for the first time. And we already knew they're going to be doing it without Brock Bowers. He's out for the spring. But linebacker Smile Munden, defensive back Tyke Smith, and now tight end Darnell Washington also will be out for the spring, according to Kirby Smart. But the great news, you know, you, you never want to be down any players, but elite players, you're talking Brock Bowers, Darnell Washington. Of course, we've kind of hit on it before, but Arik Gilbert back suited up for the Georgia Bulldogs. I mean, this could be a game changer that uh, the rest of the SEC's not ready to handle. I don't know how in the hell you're going to defend Brock Bowers, Darnell Washington, and Eric Arik Gilbert if they're all in the field at the same time. Good luck. But it's pretty interesting here because Kirby was asked about Arik and really tried to downplay the expectations for this guy. And certainly after uh, Gilbert didn't see the field last season, spent time away from the team, I think he's trying to protect his uh, star tight end here who's listed as a receiver, but Kirby says he's going to play tight end. So I think even they don't even know where Gilbert is going to land come fall, provided, of course, he's still on the football team. But we'll be rooting for him. So let's kick it over to Kirby talking to Arik Gilbert back with the team this spring in Athens. Fit in and, mm. and his prospects going forward. Yeah, Eric's done a great job. Uh, Kind of integrating back to the team. He's been here for a while now. Um, he's done the work we've asked of him. He's doing well academically. Um, you know, I think there's this perception, and it affects college football athletes more than anybody else because they're younger. That this 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 recruiting stigma follows someone, and these expectations follow kids. And I look across and follow guys that maybe we signed here or signed somewhere else, and they carry this really heavy uh, burden of expectation. We, we don't place that burden on anybody. I think sometimes they put it on themselves. I think sometimes social media does it. I think sometimes uh, media in general do it. But for whatever reason, Eric's a guy that's carried a lot of that burden with him in terms of expectation. Our expectation of Eric is to be the best person he can be first and foremost and uh, hopefully be the best player he can be. He's had a really good offseason. He continues to work. But that doesn't put an expectation of this guy's going to go out there and set the world on fire. He's trying to figure out where he fits in, and he's working really hard. He's done everything we've asked. Uh, he's fortunate he's going to get a lot of reps because of the two guys we have out. So he's going to get a, lo a lot of reps. Rylan Goaty's going to get a lot of reps. Brett Scyther's going to get a lot of reps. Delp's going to get a lot of reps. So we've got guys that are going to take reps in those roles at tight end. But I think sometimes uh, the expectation is so great on these kids, it can affect them psychologically. And then last thing here, I mean, this is the big question I have for the Georgia Bulldogs this offseason. And, you know, you kind of got a sense of it, I would imagine, if you go back and listen to uh, the over-under show we did with uh, Cousin Shane. But everybody's going to be hyping up Georgia, as they should, with this loaded roster, defending national champions. I'm not saying they're going to fall off a cliff anytime soon, but, you know, they have reached the mountaintop. 
And I truly think staying there is much, much, much more difficult than achieving it. As hard as it is to get there, hell, it took 41 years in Athens to do it. But aside from Nick Saban, it's not really been done here in recent history. You could argue Clemson a little bit, but again, they had, I mean, my God, look at the run. They had Deshaun Watson, Trevor Lawrence. Georgia doesn't have that in their back pocket, at least not yet. Uh, maybe one of these five-star young quarterbacks emerge. If so, certainly they'll be back in the conversation. And hell, Georgia's, I'm not sitting here saying Georgia's not going to be contending for the East. Let's, let's not kid ourselves. I mean, they are going to be the favorite, but being the favorite and actually doing it is is two different things so you know that's the thing that uh, Georgia has got to overcome they've got to overcome just the expectations of everyone patting them on the back we have we've had massive coaching turf hell we just had Matt Luke walk away I don't know it was for family reasons and all that but I think when it takes so much out of you to climb this college football mountaintop I don't think he had it in him to to do it once again start from scratch and Hell, I mean, everything you do from here on out at Georgia now is a disappointment. You win the East, but you lose in the SEC Championship or you lose in the playoff, it's a disappointing. That's how it is in Tuscaloosa. I mean, hell, Alabama won the SEC last year, but they didn't win the big one. And I don't, I've don't, i not seen any Alabama friends satisfied with how last season ended. That's the territory Georgia's in now. What you couldn't do for 41 years is now the standard how does Georgia respond to that? That's kind of the biggest question I have for the Bulldogs this offseason. Well, let's be clear. You know, we won a national championship because we had really good players who played well together, right? So usually the team that wins the national championship is a unified group. I mean, I can go through the last couple of years. There's like this really great group of special players at LSU. They won a national championship. Really good group, special leaders at Alabama. They won a national championship. We had a really good group. So we're trying to like develop our team to emulate what 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 is your identity? Is it going to be supreme talent with great character, with great leadership? Is the leadership and character going to outweigh the talent? We're trying to figure out what this team's identity is completely independent of the previous years. Um, and there's, there's, you know, when you look out there, there's not as much experience. There's good football players on this roster, um, but we got to get those guys in position to be successful. And our job as coaches is to grow them. So I'm not, I'm gonna repeat, I am not, you know, worried about living in the past. That's our job to make sure these kids grasp that uh, what they do is in front of them. I mean, the wind blows a lot harder at the top, but we've been up there, so it's not like we've been at the tip top, but it's been blowing pretty good where we were. So we, we got to do a good job, continue to develop our guys and get our guys ready to play. But all right, I held off long enough. Let's get to our interview with Coach Carl Reed of 24-7 Sports. We hit on a number of SEC teams. What's going on up there at Missouri, Tennessee, recruitment of the five-star quarterback, Nico, not even going to try to say his last name at this point in time. Uh, we talk about some Georgia. So we go all around the league quite a bit here with uh, Coach Reed, as well as talk some recruiting, something that he is way, way, way more knowledgeable than I am. All right, we're joined for the first time by my man, Coach Carl Reed. He's a college football analyst for 24-7 Sports. We all know it, the go-to site for college football recruiting and analysis. And he goes by Coach Reed Live Live. 
on Twitter. And he is also former head coach of Lutheran North, and he won a state title in 2019. So, Coach, thank you so much for joining me. I appreciate you. Oh, thanks for having me, man. I'm, it's an honor to be here. I'm just very curious about your journey. And how does someone go from winning a state title, now you're working the other side, so to speak, you're doing the media thing. How's your transition going? Are, are you liking this, uh, working on this side of it? Well, it's going pretty good. You know, um, when you had a kind of high school program we had there, you start to build a lot of relationships with the media, a lot of relationships with the recruiting site. And I had a few guys that played in the, the All-American Bowl. And so I, I started to develop some really interesting relationships with Inside 24-7. And you never know what direction life is going to take you in, but it led me to this, and it's been a good transition for me. Yeah, and, you know, one thing I really love about your Twitter feed, again, everybody go follow it at Coach Reed Live, but you keep it you keep it real, but you keep it positive. And I think that's something we really need in this, this day and age, particularly when we're dealing with, uh, you know, so much negativity when it comes to this this college football and recruiting and everything like that. So, you know, I really wanted to ask you about that. Are you on a mission to keep it positive, but at the same time give real advice on there? Well, you want to you tell people the truth. And so most people don't understand how recruiting works, and most people don't understand it from either side. They don't understand it from the college coach's perspective, from the high school coach's perspective, and then what the players are going through. So you always, I always wanted to make sure that my players and the parent and their parents had the best information and the truthful information possible. And it may not always be what you want to hear, but it's definitely what you need to hear because it's going to affect all the decisions that you make moving forward. It's important to understand what an offer is and what it means. Is it committable? Is it uncommittable? And what does it need to go from uncommittable to committable? You know, it's a, it's a lot of things you have to search, have to search through. Now with the transfer portal, and now with NILs, it brings another level to the game, right? Mm -hmm. And so if you don't have an understanding of what it is you're doing and, and how those processes work, you can be in real trouble. And it's interesting, you know, of course, social media has changed the game too. And you mentioned it, you had some All-Americans on your roster that you coach. You know, how much pressure for these young men do they get with uh, – college coaches and college fans and high school fans and everything like that. And I cannot imagine all that gets thrown at them in a, in a short period of time. Well, it's, it's pressure, but it's from different levels, right? So if you, if you're an all American high school recruit, if you're one of the top hundred players in the country, there's no pressure from a standpoint of opportunities because you have them abundantly, mm -hmm. right? You can go to any school you want to. You more or less have to sit down and make the best decision for you. Probably the intensity of the fan bases mm -hmm. and the amount of people that contact you. And so you have to, sometimes you have to, well, not sometimes, a lot of the time you have to sit your phone down. You have to get your schoolwork done. You have to remember to still be a kid. You know, it's other things. It's probably more stress on the borderline guys who are in a position where, they might not have a place to go. They, they're kind of starting to find out that they're not the recruit or the player that they thought they were. And so those guys probably have more mental pressure. It's probably more of a mental stress for you. But if you're a recruit and Kirby Smart calls you every Monday and Nick Saban calls you every Tuesday and Lincoln Riley calls you every Wednesday, that's not pressure. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? That's not stress. Like 
you going into one of the, arguably one of the best times of your life and you just have to make a solid decision for yourself. Now, are there any uh, particular schools or particular coaches that uh, you enjoyed interacting with the most? And, and I'm thinking specifically in the SEC. Well, no, and I and I'm going to tell you why because I understand that that recruiting is just a business, mm-hmm. right? And so, if if you have one of the if you're a high school coach and you have one of the best players in the country, that you can get any coach in the SEC on the phone almost whenever you feel like talking, mm-hmm. right? But if you don't have one of the best players in the country, it's going to be much harder for you to reach those coaches. So I think that, that there, you have to understand that these aren't personal relationships, they're business relationships, and, and you should always treat them as such. Um, and so when you're dealing in recruiting and you're dealing in any level of college football business, it's important to understand that these guys aren't your friends. This is a cold-blooded business. It's one of the toughest in the world, and you have to be strong enough to be able to navigate in this business. Mm. Now, I know you're you're a proud St. Louis man, so I wanted to ask you, about uh, old Drinkwitz there at Missouri. What do you think of the job he's been doing? And it certainly seems like he has made the state of Missouri a priority and he's, he's recruiting the heck out of it. And he did a, did a hell of a job that last cycle. Uh, What do you think about uh, coach Drinkwitz? Eli Drinkwitz is a ball of energy and he has brought some exciting momentum to the state of Missouri, especially the, the way that he has recruited St. Louis getting a commitment or a, and a signature from a guy like Luther Burden. Mm-hmm. He actually has a few of the top prospects in the state on campus today. And so um, he's a guy that when he comes through St. Louis, he's a lot more active and a lot more recognizable than, than some of the guys who have been there in the past. And so I think that he's doing a tremendous job there with the way that he's recruited. And I think that you're going to see a, a really good fall from the Missouri Tigers this year. You mentioned Luther Burden. You know, you know. I don't want. I don't need you to make anything too bold of predictions. But I've just heard so much hype around that guy. Do you think he makes a instant impact for the Tigers this year? Well, he's definitely will. I mean, he's going to start. You know, from the moment he walks on campus, mm-hmm. and he's as good as any player in the country. A lot of it is going to come down to quarterback play. If they get consistent quarterback play, um, you're going to potentially see one of the most dangerous players in the country as a freshman. Now, uh, another prospect, and I'm going to butcher his name, so I apologize, but uh, the five-star out of California, Nico, you know, there's there's speculation that uh, Tennessee rising up the charts. You, I know you covered that specifically. What can you tell us, the audience, about Nico and, and his massive potential, potentially, in Josh Heupel's offense? Well, number one, he can make all the throws, right? And so when you're talking about a kid like him who can play quarterback for anybody in the country – and who has the leadership ability and a, a word that not many people use anymore. I might show my age a little bit. He's got a lot of moxie, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> he's got he's got a little bit of swagger to him, and you have to have that kind of confidence to come in the SEC and win the games you're going to win. If you're thinking about playing at the University of Tennessee, you're going to have to go into Georgia and win if you want to win the SEC. You're going to have to go into Florida and win, you're going to have to play the car, you know, you're going to have to play the cross conference games with the SEC West schools. And so you need a big time quarterback in some of those situations to take you over the top, but win, lose a draw. Nobody has consistently, maybe the fan base that the university of Tennessee has hundred thousand fans, 
screaming Rocky Top, no matter what the program is doing. So I think it's a unique situation. Josh Heupel has proven year after year um, during his times as offensive coordinator at Oklahoma and Missouri, the places he's been, Central Florida, now Tennessee, he's an elite offensive coach. And if he can close the deal on Nico, um, it's going to put some pressure on some of the SEC defense. And do you think, Nico, just what you know about him, is he the type of guy where you can really build an entire class around him because other players are going to want to play with, with a guy that, that has that swagger, has that moxie? Well, definitely. I talk to recruits all the time, and I don't care what position you play. I don't care if you're a linebacker, a D lineman, whatever you are. If you want to win games and compete for championships, you need to pay attention to where the best quarterbacks are going because at the end of the day, the guys with elite quarterback play, uh, with a few exceptions. You know, Georgia showed this year that you can do it out if you have that type of generational defense. But more times than not, if you have an elite quarterback, you're going to give yourself a chance to win football games. It's interesting you talk about Georgia because I wanted to ask you about that and Kirby Smart. And, you know, you led a team to a title, so you know you're a great person to ask this question. They just, uh, you know, broke the barrier there in Georgia. They've been searching for a championship for four decades. Now they have it. Is that a, a more difficult thing, or is it is it harder to stay at the top now that, uh, you know, everybody on that roster has a, has accomplished their mission? Do you think Georgia can stay up there, or is, it, or is it more difficult to stay at the top? Well, it's difficult to do both. <laughs> right it's diff- it's difficult to it's difficult to win a championship winning a championship is not easy and and every year when you have a team and, and i've had great teams and when you got a few guys that are special players everybody expects you to win every time you go out there but to to win championships you have to be able to beat other great teams and kirby smart put himself in position and his program in position where they were generational this year and so it's tough, number one, to win one. It's, it's Most guys ne- – think about all the great coaches you know. Most guys never win one, right? Now he has an opportunity to put himself into another stratosphere with guys like Coach Saban and guys like Urban Meyer and Dabo Sweeney, guys who have won multiple championships. It's a handful of guys who have won. But it's hard as hell now to get even on that list with guys who won just one. Now – what you're talking about is your legacy and can you continue to keep it going? But I think that Kirby Smart understands that probably better than anybody because he was part of an Alabama machine that consistently won championships. Mm-hmm. And so he has a similar mindset. Um, he's made great new additions on his coaching staff. He's made great movement. Even when he's lost, think about who he's lost. He's lost Mel Tucker. He's lost Dan Lanning. You know, and he's replaced those guys with good guys. You get opportunity. Will Muschamp is is back in a in a pivotal role. And so, if anybody knows what he's doing, is is Kirby Smart. Now, what do you think about the way Lane Kiffin is going about building his program? Because, you know, with the transfer portal, it's we're in a new era. So, you know, there's no wrong answer here. But it certainly, to me, looks like Lane Kiffin is is looking at the landscape and saying, I can't beat Alabama and A and M and some of these other schools for high school recruits, but I can go through the transfer portal, land some elite talent. Uh, do you think that's a sustainable way to, to keep winning? Because they won 10 games last year. I don't know if they can do that again in Oxford. What do you think? Well, I think that Lane Kiffin is, is doing is taking advantage 
of the way the situation is now. It, the transfer portal, look how Michigan State used it to jump into mm-hmm. the elite mix in college football. If Lane Kiffin can continue to recruit those players and get those high-caliber transfers to his program, why why couldn't he compete with everybody in the nation? It's not far-fetched to think that he could consistently put out nine to ten win seasons if he continues to recruit at a high level because you have to take the transfer portal into consideration now. Whether you're recruiting transfer kids or whether you're recruiting high school kids, it's all about getting the top-level high players, and Lane Kiffin did that this year with his, with his transfer portal class. Now, one of my favorite questions to ask everybody this offseason, who do you think is going to prove to be a better hire, Billy Napier at Florida or Brian Kelly at LSU, two two really good coaches at two fantastic programs. Well, you two fantastic programs uh, with elite recruiting bases. You got to say Brian Kelly early because Brian Kelly has proven he can do it mm-hmm. at a high level for a long period of time. It's really hard to win at Notre Dame. The academic restrictions are harder. Not playing in a conference is harder. He has put together an exceptional football staff now and then when you think about some of the hires that he's made he's automatic he's he's turned it around already recruiting i think billy napier will do a fine job at florida but if i had to give it the edge right now i would go brian kelly at lsu all right last thing for you carl i really appreciate all your time is there maybe a recruit or two in the uh, 2023 class that you don't think is getting enough uh, buzz and, and it's going to turn out to be a really, really good college football player? Well, I think one of the top players in the country right now that everybody needs to take a look at, and, and and I would say that he's probably getting a lot of buzz, but the SEC schools are fighting on him, is Sam Pimba out of IMG. Sam Pimba is a St. Louis native, but he transferred down to IMG a year ago. He's highly coveted throughout the SEC, and I think that um, – I think that he's a really, really elite guy and that he's going to make an instant impact um, across the board, really, no matter no matter who chooses him and where he goes. And it's going to be one of those elite SEC-type recruitments. And another guy, um, and I'm going, to, I'm going to drop down a class probably. No, I'm going to stick with 23. Jeremiah Love is a running back at Christian Brothers High School in St. Louis. He's got elite speed. He's the state champion in the 100-meter dash. He's a state champion in football this year, uh, this past season. And he's starting to heat up a little bit. He doesn't have everybody quite yet, but it's starting to take out from him. And I think that he's going to be a major factor this year on on the recruiting cycle. All right, Coach, I really appreciate you. Again, everybody give him a follow at Coach Reed Live and check out all the outstanding work he's doing at 24-7 Sports. Thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate you. All right, thanks, Mike. Thanks for having me. All right, so just want to say thanks again, Coach Reed, for joining the show. Got to give him a follow. Don't forget, at Coach Reed Live, and you can find that in the podcast notes. If you're not following him already, cannot recommend him enough he really does have some outstanding insight and a unique perspective into the game of college football and college football recruiting that uh, everyone that listens to this show should be following if they're not already but hey that's going to do it for the show and like i said we got one more guest lined up for the next episode we got shane beamer comments we got billy napier comments 
And we should have uh, one or two more, I think. I mean, it's going to be a loaded, loaded show on Thursday. And don't forget to join that the ESPN Bracket Challenge that I mentioned. Again, just go to the ESPN Bracket Challenge, search That SEC Podcast, free to play. And we're giving out prizes. Or you can also find a link to the Bracket Challenge in the podcast show notes. But that is going to do it for this episode. We'll catch you on the next one.